Welcome to the Ninja Lane Podcast. In this episode, we talk about casual gaming on the tablets, consoles, and PCs. Darren reviews the Rokat Cave gaming headset. And I preview some new enthusiast gaming memory from G-Skill called the Trident X. I'm your host, Dennis Garcia, and with me today, I have Darren King. Dennis, I was out to dinner tonight with the family, and my kids can get a little unruly towards the tail end of a dinner. Yeah, that so, kind of happens with kids. I had a tablet. I have the Asus Transformer handy, so I pass it off to my son to kind of occupy him with some games. And it got me thinking, we talk a lot about what you and I are playing, but I haven't really talked a lot about uh, our family and their gaming habits. Now, I know you have tablets too. Uh, what kind of games do you guys play? Do you just, does your family play on the tablets? Yeah, actually, my son plays... Angry Birds. Oh, yes, of course. He loves Angry Birds. He gives uh, all of them unique names. Oh, <laughs> nice. Like there's uh, there's one bird that does a boomerang. He calls it the crab. I'm not really sure why he calls it a crab. But Interesting. He gets really excited with those games. And it's one of those things that's really easy. Angry Birds is a really easy game. It's really fun. Right. And he gets really excited when he gets three stars and knocks out all the pickies and <laughs> stuff like that. So... That really is what keeps him occupied on the tablet. And really, he's taken over the, the Transformer. The The wife doesn't even play on it much anymore. Oh, okay. She's kind of moved over to her Samsung tablet, which is a WinTab, like mm-hmm. an Ultra Tab, like what I have with the Asus Slate. So she uses that to play a few games here and there, mostly like Facebook stuff. Oh, okay. But she doesn't play any of the, the downloadables then? No, not so much. I mean, it's still a Windows machine, so she could install the Sims on it and stuff like that, but... It, it's not necessarily powerful enough to run that kind of a game because the graphics card is just the Intel integrated one on the chip. Well, my kids have taken an interest in, well, it's a Disney title, Where's My Water? That's I Where's guess, your water? Yeah, it's gaining a lot of traction. And my wife actually plays a variation of it based on Phineas and Ferb called Where's My Berry, <laughs> which you'd think would be easier, but is actually a little more complicated. Basically, what you do is you dig a path through the dirt so that the water can get down through the drains to hit the rubber duckies to fill a tub. Well, that's pretty basic. So you're, you know, you're digging paths. Yeah, it's kind of like the first thing I thought of was like Dig Dug, where you're actually walking under things and then they fall down and, and break. Well, but. sort of. But of course, with, with the finger, you just kind of drag your finger to make a path. And there are obstacles. And then as you get more into the game, you have tubes that have different powers and shoot different types of substances that might explode when they touch the water or whatever to kind of increase the difficulty of the puzzles. So, And that is one of those things that if it is a touch interface, it would be pretty easy for just about anybody to play. Yeah, and I've been kind of surprised. I mean, my kids play a lot of Angry Birds too, but I find that they tend to play the first 10 or 20 levels over and over and over again, so they've kind of gotten bored with it. Oh, well, you see, my son has gotten through the original Angry Birds game, and then he downloaded uh, Angry Birds Spaceship, which is what he calls, which is the space (laughs) edition, you know, and that one, you know, the birds go and fly, and then they have to deal with gravity, and you would think that the physics involved with figuring out gravity Mm -hmm. would be too advanced for a three-year-old, but he actually does a good job with that. Yeah, I'm amazed at what they learn from this, the cause and effect and such, especially with the Angry Birds and the whole angling of it. And because my wife went through Angry Birds, I mean, just 
like an addict. <laughs> I couldn't get her away from it until she'd beat it all, and then she had to walk away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and see, he'll play it until he gets three stars, and oh. then he moves on to the next one, and then he'll play it until he gets three stars. Ah, oh, see, he's going to be a good gamer. Yeah. Very dedicated. Very dedicated. <laughs> well, and he does the... He has the the same mentality where that I have, where if you reach a certain level, you give yourself kudos. Mm-hmm. So in his case, he gets the three stars, and he gets really happy and dances around, and then he goes to the next one, and he does it until he gets three stars. Nice. It's kind of a good thing, but I mentioned before how he had downloaded it. Oh, yeah. And that is something that you kind of have to watch out with, with him, because... The tablet is hooked into the Android app store, and you can pretty much download anything for a dollar, and it'll just add it to your account, and you get billed at the end of the month. That's a good point. Yeah, in fact, I learned that lesson the hard way, too. Now I know how to lock it down. <laughs> it took a couple of purchases for my kids before I'm like, what is this? <laughs> exactly. But that was how he got uh, Angry Birds Space, and I think he, there's Angry Birds Rio is on there, right. and pretty much all of them. And He'll go through and he'll play one, and then he knows how to exit out to the home screen and then come back and play the next one. And there's a a bus driving game that's on there that he likes because he likes driving games. Right. And this bus is, it's a spelling bus. It will say, spell whale. And then as you're driving along, it'll bring up these letters and you're supposed to drive the bus over Mm -hmm. the letter. This particular game is a little too simple in that if you miss a letter, it'll let you go until you get the next letter. Or if you run over a wrong letter, it just won't register. Oh, okay. So you can stay over on the right-hand side and until all the letters come up, and hey, then the game's over and you get to know the best well, one. But that's good, because he's young, so he's learning, right? Yeah, and I think he likes the driving thing there because he plays a lot of driving games on the Wii. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he loves the, the car. Well, he loves cars, mm-hmm. you know, the, the movie cars. Well, we bought him a cars racing game, and it has a bunch of little mini games in it where you can race around in, in Guido and like a little kart race. <laughs> right. Kind of like, it's kind of an offshoot of the Mario sort of carts. Oh, yeah, okay. But then there's also another mini game where you can drive around as, as sheriff mm-hmm. and chase down a bunch of the, uh, the imports that are driving through, through the town. And that one's really fun because you can drive over the entire map. No. So you can go out into the desert, or you can go into the hills, you can drive up to the, the wheel well. You know, the the spot where Lightning has his racing headquarters now. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of an open world game. It is, but only in that little mini game. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're actually doing the races through these things. So it's like a rally race where you're trying to beat five other cars. Now, I've tried to get my son interested in playing on the Wii, and, and I know my son's a little younger than yours, mm-hmm. but does he actually use the wheel and, and the whole motion interface? Oh, yeah. he We have the wheel. Well, we have two of them. We have one that's a, a car's wheel that he really likes, but he'll race with the other one as well. He knows all the buttons, so he can hit the turbo. He can actually do the drifting. He can do the brakes and backwards and stuff. Sometimes he doesn't hold the wheel up the way it's supposed to be. He'll hold it flat, uh-huh. but but he can still drive. He can still drive at that point, and he's driving everywhere. And when he's really paying attention and wants to play, he's driving really well. He'll actually pass cars the right way and make turns the right way, and then not run into things, which is good. That's something that even when I'm playing the game, I'm running <laughs> into stuff. Yeah, he really enjoys it, but then he gets bored with it. You know how kids are. And he'll go and exit out of that particular race and then go back and want to do, like, the Monster Mater or something like that. And he knows how to get through the menus. He's figured out where they all are. Nice. So he can play the game by himself, but a lot of times it's kind of a a binary thing where he's playing these games but 
we have to be there to watch him. Oh, yeah. Huh? And then sometimes he'll get bored and say, okay, you drive. And then we have to go and play the game. <laughs> well, or he can't finish a race and he wants us to go to the race so it can unlock well, something. Now that so. I understand. I get a lot of that. And in fact, it makes me think maybe I should try that on my son as he's catching up with, with that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if he gets interested in it, he's just going to keep doing it. I think we tried the Wii Sports one once. We have the mat that you can jump up and down oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he gets into that, which is kind of cool. Uh, he doesn't know really what he's doing, but, you know, we get there and try to run. He actually does the run in place thing, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I got him to play the little mini golf game once and kind of showed him, hey, if you swing this thing, it makes that person swing the club. And it's one of those where he can pretty much just hit the ball anywhere and it will, if you hit it hard enough, it'll go far enough to the point where you can complete the, the round. But otherwise, you're just hitting the ball everywhere you want. Right. Well, in my house, my daughter, who's a little bit older, really enjoys karaoke so we bought a couple of those karaoke games and she sings which is really cute for uh maybe not as long as she'd like (laughs) but it's fun so my daughter has now become an expert at pretty much every disney song and then most of the trendy pop songs out there which is definitely a mixed blessing well but the game that's really captured my kids attention is uh the skylanders game oh yeah you told me about that that's the one with the figurines where they put it on somewhere and it goes and enters that figure into the game, right? Yeah, it's it's a, actually kind of an interesting technology. Now, I grew up on, you know, collectible cards of this, that, and the other, and, you know, collectible action figures. I mean, who didn't, right? He-Man for the win. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so to me, the whole concept is very interesting. So what you have is, and we have it on the PlayStation 3, but you can get it. Oh, you can gosh, get it for the Wii or... Everything, it yeah. seems like. But you put out a little kind of circle thing they call a portal, it connects with the PC, in our case wireless, through the PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. And you buy these little figures. It comes with three of them. But you put them on the pad, and they appear in the game. And then you can control them. And it's a two-player game, so both of my kids can play. Okay, It's geared at a difficulty level where it doesn't have deaths and stuff. No. Which is good for the younger kids. Mm-hmm. The technology is pretty clever. You put the guys on there and they appear in the game itself is pretty neat, but it stores the character's experience and equipment, sort of like a little mini RPG or you can take your Skylander characters and they're, oh gosh, they got to be 36 of the things and go to your buddy's house and your experience level and your powers that you've learned and your equipment that you're carrying, even though it's a pretty minimal amount, Mm -hmm. uh, goes with the character. Oh, that's cool. So each character levels up and gains experience uniquely on the figure yeah now those figures have their own unique powers right yes they do it's um it reminds me a little bit of oh gosh the classic magic the gathering and it's been done in some other things too where you have different elemental regions i mean so you got fire guys and water guys and ice guys and air and you know you get the idea and in the game there are areas where you can only unlock them if you're playing a character from a specific element And also, in every area, there are strengths for specific elements, too. So you'll enter an area, and it'll say, Skylanders of the Earth element are stronger here. (laughs) So That's where you get those micro-mini transactions of, oh, we got to go buy this figure. Yeah, these things are, oh gosh, three, maybe four inches tall, and they're plastic and fully painted, and they're kind of slick. You pay, wow, if you can find them. 
about nine bucks a pop for a figure, or you can buy them in three packs. So it's not a cheap thing. And in the whole train of Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or collectible kid crack of choice, right? <laughs> you end up trying to go find these things, and they have uh, some difficulty because they release them in waves, mm-hmm. and they have exclusives to some of the major manufacturers. So there's this whole sort of have-to-hunt-them-down element that's been problematic. We have all but two. <laughs> and dang it if I can't find those last two before the sequel comes out in October, which is Skylanders Giants. Wow. So you're going to have taller figures at that point. Yeah, they're two to three times the size, I think. And the rumor is there'll be 16 new figures. Oh, wow. But at least it's backwards compatible. So oh, that's cool. So it'd be kind of mm-hmm. like playing Age of Empires and then you go to Age of Titans or whatever. You just... Yeah, something like that. What's nice about it, too, is... Some of the figures have come out in multiple types. So there's like a legendary version and a regular version or a limited version. Because when you level them up, there are at least at least one branch where you choose a specialty. There's some reason to own two, not just my kid likes to play Spyro and so do I, so I have to have two. But <laughs> But you could. Oh, okay. So when you want to have more than one figure in there, you just kind of put it on the portal and load them and then you can change it and put another one Uh in. Yeah. In fact, it's a hot swap. If you have two controllers on, you can play two players. But if my character has to rest (laughs) because he's taken too much damage, I can take him off and it'll pause the game while I swap characters real time. Oh, cool. So you can play on the fly swapping. And I haven't talked about this too much, but there are accessories that you can play one at a time. So I might play a health potion and you can stick it on there and it'll boost your character's health for a short period of time or swords that will fight for you or, <laughs> you know, little small mini Skylanders to be your buddies to help you out. Oh, that's pretty cool. So that's kind of neat. And there aren't a lot of those, but it, it scares me that it's done so well now that Giants is going to be like, oh my <laughs> gosh, it's going to be impossible to buy all the crap. The plus side is... I like the figures, and they're kind of fun to play with, and they seem to be indestructible for the kids. So oh, and that's important, really. Uh-huh. So they can play, and if I want to play with them, I just slap my guy on there and play until I'm bored with it, and then swap in one of my kids' characters and let them play. If they get stuck, I can swap in and out. And maybe more importantly, since my son is not very old, he goes through the characters like popcorn because he just takes all this damage, and eventually he'll get through the level, but he might work his way through 10 or 12 guys before he does it. Wow, that's pretty cool. So that's all on the console. Do you? Does anyone in your family play on the PC at all? You know, I try to get my wife playing a little bit, and she has a Steam account. Yeah. And what she is really into on Steam is kind of some of the same iOS games. Her favorite game is the Plants vs. Zombies. But she more recently has kind of gotten into these uh, hidden object games. Oh, yeah, those are fun because... Well, they're kind of fun because they seem like really old games, uh-huh. and you can buy them for like five bucks. Oh, gosh. Or if you're paying attention, I mean, like 99 cents a piece. Yeah, I know. And she rolls through them pretty quickly, but it's fun because she can sit there with my kids, and they can help her try to hunt for stuff. Yeah, and some of that stuff is really hidden. Like, try to, <laughs> yes. find, try to find the necklace in the haystack. Well, and we've noticed that the games themselves, you know, there are degrees of difficulty, and so you can play on the easy, and my kids can find everything. Or some of them are hard enough that I you know, will be sitting there watching TV, and she'll have the laptop or the tablet, depending on which game she's doing out. 
and she'll be staring at this thing while we're watching TV. And, yeah. you know, I'll look over, she'll have two objects left. And 20 minutes later, uh, two objects left. <laughs> and 20 minutes later, oh, one object left. And that's been pretty amusing. And, you know, that's a pretty good bang for your buck, really. Well, as you remember, I had built a home theater PC for the house. Right. And the one requirement that the wife had for the computer that went in it was that it needed to be able to play some games. Of course. And, you know, her game of choice was The Sims, which is, that's going to require a pretty beefy machine. Mm -hmm. But she was also playing a lot of those hidden object games as well. You know, we have a 63-inch television in the living room here. And so (laughs) she would go and fire that up and... She would sit down with my son, and they would go and try to find all the all the objects in the different areas to solve the puzzle or whatever. Right. She never got to fire up Riven or Mist or anything like that, but you know she'd be playing some of those mystery games and just kind of move on. Well, unfortunately, The Sims has kind of taken its toll on the home theater PC, and she doesn't actually play that anymore because you know you'll go and start the game and it'll blow up. So now I have to f- determine if I'm going to rebuild that machine or you know, set her up on an actual desktop so that she can play some of her games there instead. Uh, you're going to end up with a desk in the front room there. Yeah, and that's <laughs> my biggest fear is that, you know, because right now I have a tower system that's just kind of sitting around. It'll hook up to the television fairly easy. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a fairly large system sitting in the living room, whereas the home theater PC was a half height. You know, I built it pretty small so it'd slide in underneath the DVD player and be kind of out of sight out of mind well if you hook her up with a good bluetooth keyboard and mouse maybe you can hide it back behind stuff right yeah that's a possibility and we already have that stuff we bought the the logitech gamer edition oh nice the only problem with that is it takes up space in the living room but mm-hmm. you know that was something that she wanted and just didn't work out well you know we built a home theater pc and tried to do that for a while our place too and I discovered that my wife really only likes to play games on the consoles or in her lap on the laptop or the tablet. She isn't really that interested in interacting with a mouse and keyboard in the living room. So we, we gave it up. Well, and the one thing that is kind of a downside to playing games on the big screen is it is a big screen, mm-hmm. but the text is still pretty darn small. And sitting across in the where you would normally sit to watch movies, right? you can't read what's going on on the screen. You might be able to see the big icons, but you know if you're going to be playing The Sims, for instance, you have to be pretty close to be able to see what's going on. So oh, yeah. It really makes it more of a, a multimedia center instead of an actual PC, so it's probably just a bad platform. There you go. Well, maybe it's time for a PlayStation 3, right? Yeah, might as well. <laughs> When Darren and I sit down to record the podcast, we have a common microphone and we both wear headphones so we can kind of monitor what we're saying. Mm -hmm. I normally wear a set of Shure monitors that I've picked up special for the podcast and Darren is usually in something cast off from the office, but I've noticed he's wearing another set today. He brought his own headphones. You know, not that I don't appreciate the box of headphones here at the Ninja Lane Labs, (laughs) but tonight I thought I'd bring over my Rocat Cave headphones and let you take a look at them. Well, believe it or not, I am somewhat familiar with the Cave headphones. I did get a good demo at CES this year. Oh, that's right. And my first impression was that they were great at sound isolation, but they were really heavy, partially because they were a true 5.1 gaming headset. You know, the 5.1 amount of speakers, in this case, four per speaker. And it also had a boom mic, which you could pull out and switch over if you needed to. 
So what did you think of them? Because I know that you've used these for quite a while. Yeah, I did a review recently on the Rocat keyboard and mouse, and I really, really liked the products. And I also picked up, based really on my excitement and love of those two products, these Cave headphones for a chance to check them out. I've been wearing them for, wow, it seems like a couple of months now. And that in itself is really a pretty good recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and especially since you go through so many of them. You know, I do. I think there's something about being a gaming enthusiast, and we've talked about this before, that really makes you kind of crave that little extra edge. A little bit nicer mouse, a little bit faster keyboard, a little bit clearer headphones. And the biggest advantage, of course, is the 5.1 sound separation. And you just honestly have to have it in a game. If you don't, you have no idea what you're missing. And that's one thing that you can get from gaming headphones that you don't get from just desktop speakers. That's very true. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily listen to music in a 5.1 set of speakers, although, you know, it works and it sounds pretty good. It's not the same as a good pair of studio monitors like your Sure set. But these Cave headphones really hit that niche perfectly. They've got uh, the full enclosed ear. And in fact, the Cave name is, I think, very appropriate because... And it's hard to explain really without looking at these, but the outside is one single piece of, I don't know, polyurethane or plastic shell. And it really surrounds all but the very edge of the pad. And it's a thick pad. And so, see, that's that's actually one thing that we should mention because the normal gaming speakers are open in the back so that the speakers can move in more freely and actually reproduce frequencies differently. Well, and not only that, but to allow some of the outside sound through so you don't get hit by a truck or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Not that that happens often when I'm gaming, but you know. So in a sense, by having this full surround cup, the name Cave is very appropriate because when you put these on, your ears are really isolated in this sound cave. And the advantages of that are it really blocks out the outside noise way more than any other set of headphones I have, and I have a lot. (laughs) And these aren't an active noise cancellation either. No, they really aren't. It's just a total separation from the insulation. You know, you mentioned they were heavy, and there's a little bit of truth to that because the cup is a larger size. Now, I don't have the biggest head, but I have found that headphones that don't have a real big ear space get a little irritable because they touch your ears or they feel like they're weighing on your ears or, or worse, they have to pinch in to hold themselves in place. Oh, yeah. And these have a large enough space that my ears don't contact the speakers. Or if they do, I don't notice. That also lends itself well to long gaming sessions. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, we're getting into a firefight, you get a little sweaty. And if your <laughs> headphones are touching your ears, then it's going to make this little slimy connection. And it's just not going to be very good. Yeah, you know, I'm a huge fan actually of some Cooler Master headphones that I've already reviewed. And maybe my favorite all-time set of headphones is actually a pair of Triton AX360s that I've been milking off and on for years. I just love them, and some of it is that I'm just used to the way they feel. But these sit on your head very well. But the downside of all that weight is you got to have a specific fit and a specific amount of padding across the top for that long gaming session. Some headphones, like the, the Cooler Master headphones, for example, uh, will really grip your head is part of how they hold in place. But these sit pretty strongly on your head. And as you notice, there's not really as much padding as most of the rest of the headphones on the market across the top, just three small pads. Yeah, and the, the pads are actually in a square and somewhat hollow in the middle. Yeah, so it's not a solid pad and there's not a lot of it. So the downside of that 
is that they do rest pretty heavy on your head. Now, if you look at the center pad here, you'll see that there's an adjustment screw in the middle of it, and it's not flush. <laughs> now, I don't like to think I have a pointy head, Dennis, I mean, <laughs> but after a while, I can feel that screw. You should be able to remedy that, put a little foam in there maybe. Well, that's what I think, or maybe replace it with just a flat-headed screw. But it does really pronounce how heavy they are because I find myself adjusting them when I start to be able to feel that screw just subconsciously. And after the month or two that I've been using these, it's become sort of just second nature. I don't really notice it anymore. But it is a weakness in the system, and it makes me feel like, just like you said, I need to add a little padding. So if there was any downside... That would probably be it. Yeah. Now, when I used these at CES, the one thing I did was when I was listening to them, I would look around. I'd look up, look down, mm-hmm. move my head back and forth. And they did stay in place despite the extra weight, which uh-huh. was a nice thing because some, you know, other speakers that are, or headphones in this case, that are that heavy don't stay on your head very well. They will move around quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. And that has something to do with the extra amount of pad holding the grip. I don't find that I have a lot of problem with that because, you know, I'm generally in one place and I have two screens, but I don't do a lot of motion. So to me, I don't find that there's generally a problem with that. They sit really firmly in place. So in terms of sound connection, you know, 5.1 are usually a USB and digital connection. Mm -hmm. But with the Cave, they have audio connections or audio analog plugs, and then a USB power. Yeah, you know, I try to steer clear of USB headphones because I tend to feel like you get a secondary level of sound. And maybe it's just personal preference, but all of the really good headsets that I like and have held on to have breakout boxes that do true digital out through, you know, toss link or whatever. And then they are Dolby Digital certified, so you've got you know, really maybe a snobby level of sound coming out of these things, but you pay for the privilege. Now, these don't. Now, they do have a breakout box, which has some basic equalizer and volume controls, the mute, that sort of stuff. Right. But they do use a combination of the analog plugs for your 5.1 and then a USB plug for power. And that, to me, is a good selling point because mm-hmm. you're going to be spending a lot of money on a nice sound card in your computer. Right. You know, you might be having a, a creative card or you buy one of the uh, the G1 killer boards that has the creative audio on board. Mm-hmm. You're paying a privilege for that. Now, if you plug in a USB set of headphones into it, you're totally bypassing that onboard sound controller. Yeah, and I am of the opinion that the USB sound production has gotten a lot better, but it's never going to be as good as an aftermarket card or even really a high-end onboard sound solution. Well, and also another positive that was told to me by the rocket people was Mm -hmm. that you could pull the boom mic off completely Mm -hmm. and it swivels in there. And that was one thing during my demo. It wasn't, the mic wasn't plugged in very well. And when I switched it down, it actually came out. (laughs) Oh no, you broke it. (laughs) No, that's nice too, because the headphone can be left side or right side oriented that way because it'll swing out in both directions, which is handy. Now I kind of am against the removable portion of the headset because I tend to take them off and then they just disappear. (laughs) Or they walk away. But this one sits in there pretty firm. In fact, honestly, if I hadn't have read that it came off, I probably wouldn't have noticed. So the real question is, how do they sound? Well, you know, I like them. I'll be honest, the sound isn't quite as full as like the Shure headphones, for example, for music and for bass response. 
But that's okay. I don't expect that. And especially in the price point. For the money, you're getting a really great surround sound, but the range is a little more limited because it really is purely a gaming 5.1 system. Now, it does adequate music, but if that's your primary person, you're never going to buy 5.1 gaming headphones. So what really counts is how well does the surround sound work? What kind of separation? So I play a lot of Battlefield 3 and Team Fortress 2, which are games where the action is pretty fast, and knowing where the action is is really important. And I find that it's dead accurate. I mean, I can tell when the bullets are behind me. I can hear the footsteps. And to some extent, I can actually hear the interaction with the floor, the walls, the bushes, and know exactly when something's going on around me, sometimes eerily so. (laughs) And in my mind, that's a huge measure of success. Now, are you using these in a dedicated sound card, or are you using the onboard sound? I have the G1, which has a pretty rockin' X-Fi system built into it, but I also have used these just as a regular sound card. And... You know, I'm a little snobby in my sound in general because I only wear headphones on the computer. I don't have an outside speaker system. So when I'm on my computer, I'm wearing headphones. And that's why I'm so picky. And these do the job just perfectly. I just wish they had a little more bass. But you pay for that with weight and with cost. And I'm okay with that. So I couldn't help but notice while we've been working on the podcast that you've got some new stuff on the test bench, particularly some sexy looking red and black RAM. What do you got there? This is the Trident X from G-Skill. Yeah, it's the new memory that they were showcasing at Computex and in the hands of some skilled overclockers, they were running this at 3,100 megahertz. Wow, that sounds impressive. And it looks nice too. That's definitely a new heatsink design. Yeah, the the heatsink is a brand new design. One of the problems with um, memory in general is that they make the heat spreader really tall. And in certain situations, if your heatsink is too large, you can't use that memory or you can't use that heatsink. So it really limits what kind of cooling option you have. Well, G-Skill has kind of taken that into an account and allowed you to remove the top section of the heat spreader. Okay. And that's the the red part that looks, uh, it's got three sharp points, and that's where the Trident comes from. Right, Trident X. I see it, and even actually the side profile is very Trident-y too. Yeah, it's very sharp. It's uh, (laughs) very ninja-esque, if you will. Yeah, I like it. Red and black suits the site very well. The the one thing, I went to go try these things out, the the top, the top Trident, which is the the most decorative piece, it kind of makes a point. And, you know, when you go to push in memory, you always push down from the top, right? Right. And, well, that goes right into your fingers. Oh, no. Well, it's not quite knife sharp, but I could definitely see where that could be a hassle. Isn't removing the heat sink sort of counterproductive? No, not necessarily. DDR3, and actually DDR2, you don't necessarily need to have the heat spreader on it. You know, when they bend these chips, the modules, if you will, they bend them without the, the heat spreader. And that's how they determine how fast they go and what kind of timings they can handle. Then they slap the heat spreader on there to allow end users to carry them around and not damage them, but also to give them a nice cover so that you can market them a little bit better and put a fancy heat spreader on it. Well, and it's definitely pretty. I'll give it that. Now, of course, overclockers do like the heat spreader. 
Uh, like for instance, if we look at the Dominator GT from Corsair, you can put a, a Peltier cooler on top of it. Uh, you know, and Kingpin sells a, a liquid nitrogen container that will drop on top of there. So you can really bring these memories down to sub-zero temperatures. The heat spreader does come into play in that regard, but you don't necessarily need to have it. Yeah, that's good to know. Now, I know that you're a big fan of the Ripjaw Xs, particularly the F3s, and I've recently been working with Sniper Series, which I've had really good luck with also. So tell me, how do the timing stack up? How's it looking performance-wise? Well, the modules that I have here are 2400 megahertz. So they're a little bit faster than the Ripjaw Xs that I have, but the timings are cast 10. So they're not the high-end modules by any stretch. Yeah, that's a little bit loose for sure. But how much difference does that really make these days? On the Ivy Bridge and Sandy Bridge systems, it's all about how fast the memory clock is going. So the faster your memory, the more performance you're going to get. The timings have very little effect on that. Now, if you're going to be doing Super Pi or W Prime runs, then that's where timings really are crucial. And you want to have the ability to to adjust the sub-timings as well as the cast rating and, and RAS and whatnot. Right. So how about voltage? What kind of power does it take? These are rated at 1.65 volts. Well, that's pretty normal. Pretty normal, yes. Uh, 2400 megahertz, that's pretty respectable because if you take a, a 2133 kit, which is the, the previous Speed King, those were, unless you could find a 1.5 volt module, they were always at 1.65. So if you wanted to run faster than that, you're pumping in maybe 1.8 volts, which is kind of dangerous for those. Makes sense. So I guess we can look forward to a review on these soon then. Oh, definitely. They are currently being used. I'm going to be testing some video cards here pretty soon, and they'll be part of that performance test, which would be kind of nice. Very exciting. Well, what can you tell us about the test system? I'm going to be using a 3770K. It's going to be on a Sniper 3 from Gigabyte. Very nice. Well, something to look forward to. Hey, thanks for showing us. Cool. For more information on the topics discussed in this podcast, please consult our show notes. If you have any questions, drop by the forums or email us at podcast at ninjalane.com. To stay up to date on the latest at NinjaLane, Please subscribe to our RSS, now available on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter or join us on Facebook. This has been a Ninja Lane production, copyright 2012. Thanks for listening.